Welcome to Funding the Dream, the number one podcast for the number one crowdfunding platform, Kickstarter. Now here's your host, Richard Bliss. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Richard Bliss, and I'm joined by my co-host, John Covey from Genius Games. We're thrilled uh, to be together again, and we have a special guest from Grand Gamers Guild, uh, Mark Spector. Mark, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. And for those who are, uh, who are Patreon backers, we're doing, actually, we're trying to video record this and uh, put it up on the Patreon so people can watch as we talk. Not that there's really interesting, anything interesting, but uh, I'm excited to have us, the three of us together because we're going to talk about something that, uh, John, you are a certified expert on, and that is the idea of, of educational games. Because, Mark, you're about to launch a Kickstarter campaign, and we kind of wanted to talk about that. So, first of all, let's do some quick introductions. John, um, people know you well, but a quick introduction of who you are and, and your game company. Yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to fix my video here so that you guys can get it for the the Patreon backers. But um, and good job with the the intro, Richard. You got you got you got the company right. That was good. Yeah, I'm proud I, of you. I have it written down on a note in front of me. So, <laughs> <that> was, <laughs> so I'm John Covey from Genius Games. Genius Games started uh, well seven or eight years ago as a hobby, but um, we first started making money in 2014 with our first product launch on Kickstarter, Linkage DNA card game. Um, it's a really bad game, so we don't print it anymore. But, you know, that's how I learned my lessons on Kickstarter and how to design games off of that, right? We, we turn our failures into success, and that's how we become better designers. Um, so we have, I want to say at this point, 11, I think we have 11 titles. Uh, that might not be right, because we got some books in there as well, and we've got some anatomy puzzles that we've been launching. But really, we focus almost exclusively on hard science-themed games, hard science-themed products. Um, and we've tried out a lot of different things. We, we're mainly focused in the hobby market. Um, and I'll go, we'll talk a little bit more about this, but we don't really call ourselves an educational game company. We refer to ourselves a little bit differently. And when we get into that, we'll, we'll go into the nuts and bolts about what that means and why we've come to that conclusion. But, um, but yes, we, we do almost exclusively publish hard science-themed hobby games, hobby strategy games. Good to know. And then Mark, a little bit about uh, the Grand Gamers Guild. Sure. So I started publishing games back in 2016 with Unreal Estate that was successfully kickstarted. Since then, I have published, uh, if my count is right, about five other titles, some traditionally and some on Kickstarter, about to go to Kickstarter with uh, my next campaign for Endangered, which to your point, John, um, I don't like the label educational games uh, because we know most of those suck, but I do <laughs> like I do like games that educate because, right. you know, game first and then um, lessons second, so to speak. Right. So, so yeah, that, so that's what we're about. Well, that's a great point is that uh, when somebody approaches me with an idea, I, I always want to say, are you building a, a game for a theme or are you applying a theme to a game? And what I mean by that mm. is, is that you have to have a solid foundational game before before the uh, the idea, although the idea could prompt the game, but it still has to be about the game. Um, yes. Now, when we're, we're going to talk about Kickstarter, and let's uh, Mark, you have at the time of this recording a campaign that's about to go live, Endangered. You just mentioned it, but I'd like to also talk real quick with John about your current campaign that's running called Nerd Words Science. Is that what it's referred to as? That's correct. Okay. And you have yes. a, a thinky word game meets science, and um, it's it has been funded. But this game right. you were telling me hasn't is hasn't done as well as you had hoped. Is that is that correct? Nowhere near what we thought it was going to do. I mean, we our worst expectations. It's it's it has done um, 
it, it, it's been less than that. It's been less <laughs> so than your worst expectations. Yeah, it's the worst expectations. It's done, it's done worse than that. Well, I think about the last yeah. episode that you were just on with Michael Mendez, and uh, I think the comment was that you have not had a Kickstarter campaign fail, and his a comment was, keep going, right? That's right. right. <laughs> uh, not that this one's failed, but it certainly has not met your expectations. Pride comes before the fall. It we does. all know it. <laughs> what do you think has held this back? So I think there are a few things. The biggest, though, is that I underestimated the uh, I underestimated the the difficulty of communicating a a um, team based or a party based or a group based experience. How difficult that is to communicate through a video or through a Kickstarter page. Um, and as I've done more research on this and as I've talked to other designers and other publishers that have party games out there, the number one thing everyone keeps saying is, you know, in, in some way, yeah, party games are really hard on Kickstarter. And 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 I I guess I got a little cocky and I thought, yeah, maybe party games are, are hard on Kickstarter, but mine will do really well, right? I've got an audience. They'll, they'll come and they'll show up and mine will do really well. I'll be the exception, right? That, that maybe is not the best place to start. Um, but as I've gone through this process, what I've realized is there are certain things about a party game that make it really interesting. Most of the time, the rules are really, really simple. So when you read the rules, you're like, why is that any fun? I, you know, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense why that would be so fun. But when you interact with someone or a group of people over these rules, then you see it. You get the experience, right? You feel that experience while you're playing that game with a group of people. That's really hard to communicate uh, through a Kickstarter page. I think there are some ways, but in, but even through those few ways that you can experience it, you're not experiencing it firsthand. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I think that I think that is probably one of the main reasons why we've had such a difficult time. Party games just. Uh, that they don't do well, and if and if you search for party games on Kickstarter and you start to scroll through all of the games out there, um, you just you just see a completely different subset of funding goals and total amount funded and backer counts than you do with the rest of the tabletop gaming on Kickstarter. Right, and when you say different, it's much smaller. Now, Mark, in your case, yes. you, you're about to launch a campaign that you hesitated to call, and both you and John have hesitated to use the term educational game. Endangered is an educational game, but you're using that term carefully because you really don't want to do yeah. that. And, and what's the thought behind that? So the thought behind that is, you know, we all grew up playing educational games, that, those computer games specifically that are like math simulators, learn math while blasting spaceships. And, you know, five minutes into it, you kind of want to blow your brains out rather than, <laughs> rather than right. blow up spaceships. But I actually had a thought for you, John, regarding, or at least my own experience with respect to a sort of a party game. So I had mentioned yeah. earlier that, um, I did some traditional publishing with my second game, Stroop. That is to say, we did well enough on Kickstarter with on real estate that I decided to just publish Stroop because, to your point, Stroop is words on cards, and it, it capitalizes on the Stroop effect to um, create a really sort of like brain lock effect when you're under pressure and under speed. Right. And so um, I could not figure out how in the world am I going to convey this on Kickstarter, and so right. I did it. Now, what's funny is that I've had that game on the market for three years. It is a continuous seller. Everyone who sees it at conventions picks it up. Right. And I actually think that I'm going to be reformatting it and doing sort of a full-on 2.0 version of it and bringing that to Kickstarter. And so it'll be really keen to see 
how it fares when you have that party thing, but I've had two years to seed and build an audience. Yeah. So right. maybe that's a topic we can discuss, I don't know, a year from now or something like that. Right. But, but, in this um, case, yeah. but in this case, I want to talk about, um, Mark, I want to talk about Endangered because that's a campaign yes, absolutely. that you've just launched. It is educational, but um, again, you hesitated. Tell us a little bit about this campaign. Sure. So Endangered is a cooperative dice placement action selection game where you are acting as um, in different roles. You're an environmental lawyer. You're a lobbyist. You're um, trying to convince the UN to pass legislation to save the animals. It's scenario-based in that the game will be released with two scenarios, tigers and sea otters, so a land animal and a water animal. And you are fighting environmental destruction, and you are um, trying to get the animals to breed and the designer, Joe Hopkins, one thing that he has done just amazingly well is in taking the, um, the real-life circumstances and abstracting them into the game. And, um, and that's where the educational part comes in, because obviously tigers and sea otters are dramatically different animals. They behave differently. They breed differently. The threats that they oppose are different. And so Joe has taken all of that and put it into the game so that when you are playing the tiger scenario, you have snipers and you have um, forest destruction. And when you're playing the sea otter scenario, you have sharks and you have oil slicks. And of mm. course, in both of those scenarios, you have the different types of human encroachment that uh, take place in the different environments. Okay. And one thing that I'm super proud of is, um, you know, I've been working tirelessly to try to get a partner on this project, a nonprofit organization who, and let me say this clearly, will not benefit from the Kickstarter funds because I realize that is against their terms of service, but who I can support with copies of the game, who I can support with a donation out of post-Kickstarter retail sales, and we finally just this week managed to, um, to line up that partner who I'm hoping, fingers crossed, has the ability to reach a lot of conservation and animal-minded folks that I can't reach. I'm pretty good at reaching gamers, but the conservation audience is one that I don't know. I don't have my hand in that pie. And so, uh, and that brings up a good point because uh, John, in your case, you've had kind of a similar thing with your games. They've reached out to the gamer community, but you've extended that, that influence out into the non gamer community as well with your games, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So we, what's interesting that I, I feel like there's a lot of overlap between the types of games that we're, we're discussing now is we, designed the game itself for the core hobby market, right? It's a strategy-based exactly. hobby right. game. But we want thematically, we want that thing to be as accurate as possible uh, about the theme that we've based it on. Um, and because of that, because of that theme, because that theme is so accurate to whatever a concept we're trying to, to mimic or the process we're trying to, to show off, um, you have teachers or educators or um, third-party endorsers or um, centers or journals or museums or whatever that are interested in selling that product or partnering with that product because they see how accurate it is in life. 
Um, and that's something that we have been able to do with the school market, with some of the education markets. Um, we actually sell through a, different, a few different science catalogs, like Flynn Scientific is a um, a science teacher supply catalog, and, and we sell through um, so a few catalogs like that. Rainbow Resources is specifically an educational resource for homeschoolers and um, home science tools. There's 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 all these um, online and um, and um, d- distribution like resellers that will sell directly to those uh, communities that are outside the hobby industry. Um, so yeah, we've we, we've we've managed to do that. Uh, Mark, you had some questions, I think, for John, because as you reach into this space, this is new for you, this uh, kind of extending this out beyond the gamers. And what kind of questions do you have for John? Because he's obviously got extensive experience being able to deliver a product into a, a, a fringe market. Yeah, well, he actually, you know, kind of started answering them inadvertently. I mean, first of all, just knowing the fact that um, he has had success in in bridging over to those additional audiences, and obviously, right. I'll I'll pick your brain after the fact for some of those names and and the best way to channel into those. But sure. um, but it's just you know it's nice to know about you know that scientific accuracy matters and um and that it can be done because this is you know this is a game ultimately that tells the story of you know rescuing and 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 sustaining the megafauna that we you know we value. Um, as in our community, I mean, in like the whole world community, not just uh, not just the gamer community, and um, you know, and, and conveying that responsibility and that stewardship that we have to maintain that for generations to come. And right. in this game, you know, it's about getting around a table. And and to your point, Richard, you know, this is you know a pretty big left turn for my company yep. because. My whole point has tried to be um, one of the hashtags we use is game night go to because we want to be the kind of company that puts out obviously excellent games, but games that provide a breadth of experience such that you could spend the whole night with our games and not realize you're playing games from the same company. Um, right. To that end, um, I've never done a co-op and I've never done a, uh, let's say a scientifically accurate game. And so, yeah, right. um, it, it is, it is good to know that, I mean, obviously I've seen you succeed, John. So it's nice to know that that, that gap can be bridged. And, yes. and, then, and then, John, I'm going to have bring us back then because Mark has mentioned yeah. that he's got a party game that's possibly coming out. He's going to relaunch one. Um, but your non-party game, uh, let's talk about that back, uh, uh, Nerd Words, right? Yes. That you, I watched this campaign go live. You and I talked about it, I think, briefly right before it went live. And then I've watched it, and I've watched the dialogue you've had online as you've engaged with your audience. And it's been very fascinating right. because... Mid-campaign, you have received advice and then implemented it to change some of that yes. branding and marketing around your campaign. Explain that a little bit because I, th- thought, I, f- I found it fascinating, one, that you were able to ask, two, you got some great advice, and three, you were able to implement it in such a quick, quick manner. Yeah, and I think this goes back to a few different conversations we've had on the podcast, Richard, where we've talked about some of the benefits of using Kickstarter to launch a product. And one of those things is immediate feedback from people who have already put their money where their mouth is, right? Um, So um, to answer the question, though, more specific about this campaign, when we first launched, I think our tagline was um, something like a party game meets real science or a party game with real science. And we launched it. um, Our newsletter that went out that morning um, had something about – it started off with the the newsletter subject line was nerd word science – and then a, um, a vertical line, a party game with real science, right? Um, I, I'm, I'm going into this much detail because I'm going to um, essentially 
critique why what we've done, and I think this is a big reason why we had such a bad launch. So first off, um, we started with the name of the product, NerdWord Science, um, which has no meaning to anyone, right? The name NerdWords is not a real thing right now, so no one knows what it is. So there's not really much intrigue to that. Um, that's the first part, and that's, a, that's I think that was a big problem. Uh, our, our email newsletter has um, a bit over um, 11, 12,000 people on it, and we had the lowest open rate of any email that we've sent with that subject line. Now, maybe that's also because this is spring and we've got a lot of families on spring break or people on spring break, and so people aren't opening their inbox as much. You know, but you know, there, there's a lot of other things we could discuss. But that subject line was a problem. And I think there were two things that we pointed out were problematic about that and problematic about the title. And that was that um, it referred to the game as a party game. And I'll go into more details about why that's a problem. And also it referred to nerd words and no one really knows what that thing is yet, right? If there's a lot of ga- names of games that before the game launches, you don't know what it, code names. You know, what was code names before it became popular? It meant nothing to anyone. It, maybe it was about a spy or something like that. Who knows? But now if you say the word code names, everyone in the industry and people in mass know what code names is. That, that, that name brings a lot of brand recognition with it. Um, so a party game. What, what I realized, um, well, once we, once we didn't do so well, I um, went back to the drawing board, talked to my team, um, asked our backers, and also asked a few people in my audience on Facebook and things like that, um, what do you guys think about this title? What do you think about us referring to this game as a party game? And the feedback was was quite unanimous. Um, they all said, when I think of a party game, I think of a bunch of people just laughing and having fun, drinking alcohol, being belligerent, um, saying irreverent things, and everyone just kind of laughing about it. I'm like, okay, well, I can think of a lot of party games that are not like that, but I see why most of my most of the the people I've been talking to get that impression because you have games like you know Cards Against Humanity and so many variations of Cards Against Humanity by so many publishers, and that that genre of irreverent party games is a really popular thing, especially in you know like the college crowd, the college community, um, and and so that was the first impression that people got. Um, they also did not perceive a party game as being a like really thinky meaty deduction kind of game right which 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 nerd words is um it's it's not like a big aha laughing and chaos kind of game it's a you get some clues and you're thinking you're trying to figure it out and you're like oh i think i made a connection and you're, you're you and your team are going back and forth trying to figure out what this word is based upon the clues that are given to you. And there's some really unique twists to the restrictions that you can do with the, with the, with the clues. And this was not being communicated at all through the terminology that we were using, especially through party game, which is why we decided to essentially drop the word party game completely from the title and the blurb and the cover image. And th- and even throughout some of the page, we still refer to a couple things as, as a party style game, but, but yeah, we've completely removed that and replaced it with, with wording like a thinky word game, which is a bit more of, of, of what it is. And so, yeah, that, that's been an interesting process for us, but I think going to our audience and asking them firsthand was one of the best things that we could do. I, I agree. I watched that conversation live and I found it very fascinating. And then to see you make those changes immediately. So uh, before we run out of time, I wanted to back your project, uh, John. Uh, I yeah. like it. I believe uh, probably foolishly that my children will enjoy playing this with me, my daughters. I, but, but cause I'm into nerdy word science. I think they will. And so what level should I be back in this game at? Um, okay. So I would say I would decide between two different levels. 
So for the first level, um, the game, the MSRP is going to be about $30. We're offering it for $19 in the Kickstarter campaign. The first level is going to get you the base game, and that's at $19, right? Um, that will give you, I think it's a, a roughly 450 different words. Most of them are all basic words, sixth grade science or lower, and then some advanced words in that package. Now, the $29 reward level is going to have um, four add-on packs, and it's, a, it's essentially a $50 MSRP at that point because you're getting the base game plus these four add-on packs. The add-on packs are, uh, let me see here, um, they go into more details about advanced advanced terminology and medical science and space science and earth science and advanced biology topics. Sure. So if you're really into that kind of stuff, those add-on packs will give you some real meat and potatoes. Got it. If so I'm going not. with the $29 add-on packs. That's the one I'm going with, right? <laughs> Amen. Do it. All Click right. that back button. That's what I just hit. I just hit it, and I'm tweeting it out right now. Bam. Out, out it goes on Twitter. Okay. And then awesome. Mark, so that was, that's for John. And then, wow, my, my campaign just jumped $1,000. Yeah, Did you that, put $1,000, no. Richard? That Man, not, thank you so much. That's not mine. Nope, not this time. Okay, I'm trying we to almost had him. We almost, almost had him. Almost, almost. And then, Mark, yours goes live April 2nd. And one of the things, and, and we're going to wrap up here, and then we'll have a, just a, a couple of minutes afterwards, but you used... More, uh, uh, John was talking about the branding and the party game. In your case, to draw in attention, you went with another partnership, and that is the artwork partnership. And we were talking that right before the show. And how and did the you art go? Is beautiful. The art, the art is, is fan, so gorgeous, fantastic. I mean, if you yeah. if this was live, I'd be backing it right now just to put that picture somewhere. All right. uh, somewhere yes. in my house. And if you if you're listening, just go look at the box. At least go look at the box. It's just it's beautiful. It is, and the game is called Endangered. It's Dangerous. Grand mm-hmm. Gamers Guild. Tell us just as we wrap up here, what was it that, how did you uh, attract this artist to help you back at this project? Sure. So uh, Beth Sobel's the cover artist and did about 50% of the interior art and Ben Flores did the other 50%. Um, you know, when you think about nature art in the game industry at this point in time, Beth Sobel is the first name that comes to your mind. And we were just super lucky to, um, to attract her talent and when that tiger image came through, I mean, the thing just draws you in. It's amazing. You know? it, it is a it is a tiger image that screams, "Pick me up off of the off of the counter or off the shelf," and like at least turn the box over and see what in the world you're looking at. It, so, and it says to me, "Take my credit card and all the cash in my yeah, wallet right. now." Yeah, yeah, I like that. <laughs> okay, to- beautiful. Well, and I looked at it, and I didn't realize it looks almost photorealistic when I looked at it yeah. on the image. It just was – and then when you mentioned that it was an artist, I had to look closer and realize, yes, I see some of that art. It is incredibly captivating uh, imagery, and so i got to believe that you are really pleased with what she's been able to do. Oh, tremendously. And if I can pre-answer your backing question, Richard, yeah. um, I know the campaign's not live when we talk, but it'll be live when this goes – when the podcast goes live – the uh, level I would encourage people to back at will be the $75 level, because if you back at that level, not only will you get a copy of the game, but we'll be giving a copy of the game to our partner, the Center for Biological Diversity. And mm. the hope is that we send them cases of games that they can then forward out to schools and children's museums and use for their educational initiatives. That is, uh, that is our partner on the project, and they have, they have played the game. They have commented how real to life it is in the work that they do on a daily basis, and we're super excited to have them on board. So oh, that's fantastic. Take All a right. look at that level. You have my commitment then here on the show. 
Uh, oh, back at the $75 level. John, you should have you pushed me up higher. That, uh... Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> all right. Buy six copies. Buy six copies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, guys, thank you very much for joining. I appreciate the insight, John, that you provided, and I know that it's uh, benefited Mark. And Mark, I'm looking forward to your projects coming out. And this has been a, a great – we've kind of done this, uh, this uh, episode here, recording it with the three of us. I appreciate the insight also that you provide, uh, uh, John, with the branding, with the understanding your audience – and uh, being able to make those adjustments in real time. And this really goes with uh, that last episode that you and I talked to Michael Mendez, where, right, yeah. use your failures to success. And sometimes yeah. that failure is halfway through and you realize, oh, I need to make some adjustments immediately. I'm excited that the project has funded. And I think, uh, John, with your wizardry, we should be able to make it uh, much more successful than, than it's currently at. So I think you'll do just there fine. And Mark, I'm I looking forward so. to Endangered coming out. And thank you for joining me on the show. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. And, and, you know, I hear you talk about how you and your wife play games multiple times per night. Um, I, I think this is one you'll enjoy having hit your table, too. All right. Well, we'll have to see. Last night we played uh, Empire Builder. Uh, she kicked my... Oh, nice. I mean, it wasn't even close. She just kicked my... <laughs> and then, uh, right. And then we've been playing... Whatever. Whatever we're playing right now, she's winning. So I, I don't... And I swear, she's been practicing on her iPad. Kingdom Builder. We played Kingdom Builder. I lost that one, too. So... All right, guys. Hey, thank you very much. You've been listening to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. My guest has been uh, Mark Spector from Grand Gamers Guild, as well as my co-host, John Covey from Genius Games. We've talked about a lot about branding and about educational games and party games and the concept and, and how to position those so they do successful on Kickstarter. Thank you for listening. If you like to participate in the conversation, we're on Facebook with the Funding the Dream on Kickstarter Facebook group. And I appreciate particularly the, um, the surge of backers that have happened on Patreon to support this show and to make it successful so we can continue to bring great content like we have. Thanks for listening. Take care.